Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 10:22. The blessings of the Lord make rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 11:28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs 11:24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and all the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs 11, 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. And as you're seated, uh, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Brant. I'm one of the members here, one of the members of the team here at Christ City Church. It's my pleasure to, to bring the Word of God to you this morning. And as you can see from those texts that we just read, we'll be talking about money, about greed, and about generosity. Uh, so it's a super exciting topic. I know we're all excited about greed and generosity, right? Um, and we're going to need some help from the Lord, uh, as we always do. So I would ask that you pray with me as we get going uh, together. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And we rejoice that you have given us the opportunity to be your children. Uh, Lord, we rejoice that you have um, offered us riches beyond compare in Jesus. And that you are a God who works miracles in our hearts to make us uh, not greedy, but to make us generous. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us now by your Holy Spirit to, um, to through uh, my weak efforts, Lord, to, to make your word shine brightly. And to convict our hearts and to make us become more like Jesus. We ask this for your glory and for the good of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you're falling asleep, uh, let me just say it this way. We're going to talk today about you and your money. Are you awake now? I wake you up a little bit? Have your attention? Also, me and my money, so it's not just you. Um, but money, money is a big topic. It's a, it's a weirdly captivating of our hearts topic. Uh, it's one of, if maybe not, the central preoccupations of humankind. Money. It's in our hearts. Uh, famously, Oscar Wilde, the great playwright, once quipped, there's only one class in the community that thinks more about money than the rich, and that's the poor. The poor can think of nothing else. Money is not just something that some of us think about. It's something that all of us think about. It's on our minds. It's on our hearts. Money and what we can do with it consumes us. Maybe you've experienced this or you've bought something. Or you're, you're, you're just anticipating that delivery getting to your door. You felt that, that great excitement around the, the delivery coming. Or maybe uh, you are preoccupied in the, with money in the way that you think, what can, I, what can I buy? Or I have this thing that I'd like to buy. And I'm, I'm driving my life towards being able to achieve this, to have this, to, to get this. I think in a lot of ways, money and commerce is the world's crack cocaine. It kind of keeps us going. You know, we, we get excited about it. We're addicted to it. We think constantly about it. 
And that we even allow money then to get the sneaky hold on our hearts. And we allow it to drive and to determine our anxiety levels. So maybe you, you open up your bank app before you go to sleep. And depending on, depending on what that app tells you, either you can sleep well at night or you can't. Right? You're, you're, it's, it's something that drives us, uh, our anxiety or um, our sense of well-being. And arguably, this preoccupation, it's, you know, it's not just us, it's, it's everybody on the planet. And weirdly, somehow that preoccupation, it binds us all together in this common quest. In this common quest. Yuval Noah Harari writes about this actually in his internationally best-selling book, Sapiens. He wrote this, he said, People who do not believe in the same God or obey the same king are more than willing to use the same money. Osama bin Laden, for all his hatred of American culture, American religion, and American politics, was very fond of American dollars. Isn't that good? Isn't that a great quote? I love that. <clears throat> but there's this, there's this reality where there's a deep, and sadly, I think, selfish anxiety over money that even holds our global culture together, our global society together. And we need to ask, is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? Well, no, it's not a good thing. Maybe you've noticed that as our society clambers over itself to get rich, that a lot of things have died in the process. For one, integrity and character die when money is what we're pursuing. Uh, Local community, local culture can often die as uh, larger organizations can come in and kind of wipe out the culture of an area. Uh, The poor, clearly, uh, get get the, the shortest straw in this quest for riches very often. And what about the environment? We know often that this quest for riches has not been good for, for our world in which we live. And just to name a few of the things that, that can go wrong as we let this anxiety and this greed drive us. You know, a global quest for wealth, it might make us all a little bit richer, but at what expense? And the question for us right now is, is there then a better way to use our money? Where can we go to learn to use this thing that we've been given, this incredible resource? How can we use it well? Is there a better way? Well, praise God, there is a better way. There is a good way to use our money. The ancient book of Proverbs has a ton to say about money and even about greed and about generosity. And here's the thing, because Proverbs are this incredible word from God who made all things for us, And for our use, they actually can teach us how not to be in the dark about how we use the things in this world. He shines a light on how we can use these things in this world in a productive way that leads to the flourishing of our people here on earth. So we're going to look at Proverbs. We're going to see what it is uh, that God would have us do with our money. And as we do that, I want to dive in. We're going to look at uh, three different points. And these points are are very binary. I'm going to just put that out there right now. And they're binary because... The book of Proverbs is binary. In the book of Proverbs, either you have the fool or you have the wise man. There's no middle space. You have the fool who's righteous or you have the, uh, sorry, the fool who's wicked. Let's clarify that. Uh, or the, the wise who is righteous. And there's, there's nothing in between. And so my points are reflecting that. We're going to look at, number one, money and the wicked fool. And number two, money and the righteous wise person. And then three, we're going to look at the generosity of Jesus Christ. Tie it all together. So first point, money and the wicked fool. Let me ask you a question right off as we begin. I've said all this bad stuff about money. So maybe you're like, you're like me as I was growing up. I felt this way that, that maybe money's evil. 
Is money, is money the problem? Is it a bad thing? Well, no. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And there we see that after God created everything, all the gold and all the jewels and all the diamonds and all the potentialities for wealth creation in this world, God said something about it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And that means that money or any other form of wealth is not actually an evil thing. It's not a bad thing in and of itself. If there's a problem, then in this world, it isn't money. It's not money. But there is a problem, so we have to ask, what is it? What is that problem then? Well, you maybe have heard at some point in your life this saying, that, uh, that money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that before? I mean, whether you are a Christian or you're not, it's, it's so popular that you might have heard of it far outside of the church. Well, the thing is, that's actually a misquote of a biblical verse. It's wrong. The Bible says it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Do you see the difference? Not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And that's got some really important implications for us. That means that the size of your bank account isn't actually an indicator of whether you are righteous or unrighteous. The size of your bank account is not an indicator of whether you are righteous or unrighteous. In the Bible, you can be poor and you can be wicked. According to the Bible, you can be rich and you can be righteous and use your riches as God uses his. So money's not the problem. The problem that whether you're rich or you're poor, the problem that we all struggle with is loving money more than God and more than people. The problem is loving money more than God and more than people. And when that happens, we aren't wise and righteous. We become the wicked fools that the Proverbs talk about. And the thing is, there are symptoms that go along with being a wicked fool who uses money poorly in the Bible. So I want to actually unpack now uh, what some of those symptoms are. So look at those. And I think I would ask you, try to have a humble heart, be the teachable person in Proverbs as we look at these passages and examine yourselves. Let the word of God land on you and teach you and correct you if this reflects some of your own characteristics. <clears throat> so I'm going to look at four. So number one, first, wicked fools, because they don't fear God, they place a false confidence in their resources. They've lost perspective. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verses 10 to 11. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. Or Proverbs 23, verses 4 to 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Or look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So here's a question for you this morning. How secure is your bank account? According to the book of Proverbs, not very. Not very. No matter how much security you have, no matter which bank you go to, according to the book of, the, of Proverbs, it's not that secure. And if you look at the history of this world, I think we have to admit that that's the case. 
as we've seen the ebb and flow and, and conflict of humankind and the things that have happened to great wealth and that have decimated it overnight. The security that wealth can bring is not certain. I mean, certainly it can help in the day-to-day. Let's all be the first to admit that. But its help is limited. When the cancer diagnosis comes, and when the metastases start, when the disease is diagnosed, your money can only go so far. When global markets are hit, it won't secure your future. When family turmoil comes, money is not going to save your marriage. When your children are caving to peer pressure and heading down a path that's very dangerous, your money is not going to help them. Or when you stand before God on the day of judgment, he's not going to be impressed by the size of your bank account. And the wicked fool in the book of Proverbs, they pin their hopes for their future and for their well-being on money. On money. But money can't give security. It can't bring life. That's the first characteristic. They falsely appeal to money. Second, though, the wicked fool in the Proverbs, we, uh, we read uh, this. So I want to just stop this point and kind of back up with this general idea. So in the Proverbs, the righteous is a person that is willing to disadvantage themselves in order to advantage other people. And in the Proverbs, the wicked person, on the other hand, is someone who is willing to advantage themselves to the disadvantage of others. We've talked about that a number of times through this series. So predictably then, the second point here is that the wicked person sees money as a way of advantaging me. Money is a tool for my own benefit. Money is all about me and at the expense of everybody else. So look at Proverbs twenty-two sixteen to see uh, the first verse we'll look at here. It says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So notice right away that it's not a good thing. It doesn't work out well for them in the end. They only come to poverty. But it's easy to see, I think, in that first line, how oppressing the poor to increase one's own wealth, how that could be self-serving and wicked, right? That makes a lot of sense. That's just on the face of it. It seems very apparent to us. But here's a question. What about that second line? Why is it that giving to the rich is negative in Proverbs? Isn't that a kind of generosity? I mean, if I'm generous to the rich person or the poor person, does it matter who I'm generous to? What's it talking about here? Well, I think what's going on is that giving to the rich in this context is talking about the way that the wicked fool uses his money or her money as a tool of self-promotion. This is a a generosity that's still motivated by greed or by avarice. It's self-serving. It's a sort of, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, look at money that ignores the needs of those around you. Ignores the needs of your employees. Ignores the needs of the poor in your midst. Ignores, ignores righteousness and justice and how you might be conducting yourself at a grander level. Really, it's talking about bribery and gift giving in a very shady way. And I think we know that as this kind of bribery or gift giving or or inflating the wallets of the very rich without actually and giving to, giving to one another in that way without actually taking care to, of justice, we know that that destroys industry, don't we? You see countries where that has run amok, where you have uh, gift-giving and bribery have gone, and the industry has been corrupted and destroyed. And the people in the society don't flourish, actually. Death, decay, and rot in the society are the result. It's a very self-motivated use of money. 
But this desire to use money in this impressive way, uh, in a self-serving way, it doesn't just apply to shady gift giving. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7. It says, One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. So this Proverbs teaches that there is more to appearances than meets the eye. But what I want to parse out from this is why someone poor would even want to pretend to be rich. What's going on there? Well, it's because of vanity. It's the way that, it's speaking to the way that I think our society has gone headlong in this desire to use money to show off. The documentary photographer Lauren Greenfield, after studying our culture's greed for many years, she commented that a culture of hard work and frugality has turned into a culture of narcissism and bling. A culture of hard work and frugality has turned into a culture of narcissism and bling. But showing off, it's not righteous. And using money to be seen by others, flexing or swaggering or flaunting your wealth, it's not the territory of the righteous wise person, according to the book of Proverbs. It's the territory of the wicked fool. Why is that? We need to ask that question. How come? Because isn't it true that when your eyes are on you in this way, when your desire is to impress others, to use your money in a selfish way, that you don't even see the needs of those around you. And your heart hasn't been formed to have a disposition to care to the, for the needs of those around you that are suffering around you. You're just interested in you. It's just another symptom of loving money more than people. And I think that this can even get uglier. Loving money can get really, really ugly. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty six. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Self-focused greed, a love of money, cares about stockholders and profit. It doesn't care about people. And then when you have opportunity, if you're this kind of person, and you have an opportunity to reduce the flow of some kind of commodity to somebody that needs it in order to advantage yourself, you have no problem doing it. This has happened historically. Actually, even in recent history, there's been a number of court cases about this where a pharmaceutical company in the United States cornered the market on a specific drug that people needed and then jacked the price up like crazy. This is the kind of thing we're talking about. An immoral pursuit of money, love of money that doesn't care about people, cares only about profit and leads to oppression. Third, the wicked fool can also, not always, have a tendency to be lazy in their quest for riches. Look at these two verses. Proverbs 28, verse 22 says, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The wicked fool is allergic to hard work. It's allergic to hard work. And because they're allergic to hard work, they want to make a quick buck. They're after what's the fastest way to make profit possible. I want to do that. And it leads them all kinds of terrible places. But let's be honest. I think we've all felt this temptation. I've felt this temptation in my own life. I once ran a construction company. I was uh, in my early 20s. I had a small company. And as... I could see what kind of money I could make in different kind of transactions, different kind of uh, services. 
it was tempting for me to cut corners, not just with my miter saw, but to cut corners with my business, right? To cut corners with my business and to, to start to look for ways to pursue the bottom line versus pursuing quality and integrity in my practice. But I was so sort short-sighted because the quick buck approach to wealth creation, it's foolish. And cutting corners and aiming for big payouts, it doesn't actually build the sort of character that you and I need. It doesn't build the character that we need and it doesn't lead to the flourishing that we need. I make some money in the interim for sure. No questions there. But wouldn't it be better to be diligent, to be slow, to be faithful, to, to build over time a company or a product that your children would be proud of? that would earn you a reputation, that would see you as a good in the community. People would respect you. After all, Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. It's true. And the reward for that is better than a quick buck. Finally, we should ask, why does the wicked fool overvalue their wealth and undervalue others and prefer a life of quick gain over diligence? For this reason, Ultimately, because they do not fear God. They reject his counsel. And because they reject God's counsel, they'll never attain to what the Bible calls true wealth. No matter how big their bank accounts grow, the wealth of living the right way in God's world, it's not going to come to them, and it won't bless them. They see only money. They live only for money, and they're blinded by it. Look, if you're not sure about what the Bible teaches this morning, and if you're not sure that there is a greater good out there than money, and you're chasing after it, I'd encourage you to open your eyes and look around you. Look at the ways that riches have disappointed time and time and time again. How many of the most wealthy and prosperous would give anything that they owned to repair their marriage? How much would they give to get a good night's sleep at night, to have peace? Or how much would they give to have that gnawing in their gut for something more quenched by something sufficiently good to fill it? Wisdom is much better than riches. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, which says, Wisdom is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. What's better than wealth this morning? Fearing God. Fearing God, being trained by him, learning how to live in this world according to his purposes for this world and being blessed in relationship with him. But if you love money more than the instruction of God, you will never become wise and you'll never become truly rich. All right, so we've looked at money and the wicked fool, but we should also ask what happens then when our hearts are actually turned towards God positively in love? What happens when we submit to him and fear of him and learn from him and we love others? What does that look like? Well, turn with me now. Let's look at the, the characteristics um, of money and the righteous wise person. Well, first, the wise, righteous person, they don't overvalue money. They put money and wealth in its proper place. They believe the following Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 16, which says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord 
than great treasure and trouble with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich in Proverbs 10, 22, and he adds no sorrow with it. That's beautiful. And he adds no sorrow with it. How many sorrows do the wealthy of this world have? How often has great wealth led to great tears? The righteous wise understands that in this world, there is a blessing to be found in humbly being shaped by God and being instructed by him. And they turn to him, they fear him, and they put money in its proper place. And look again at those striking words of Proverbs ten twenty two: The blessing of the Lord, not a big bank account, makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Second, the wise person understands that wealth is a resource created by God for the service of his people. And the wise person humbly submits themselves to God's economy, which teaches counterintuitively that generosity and not greed is what leads to true wealth. It's counterintuitive. It's all over the Bible. Generosity and not greed is what leads to true wealth. Look at the following Proverbs. 11, 24 to 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Or 22.9, which says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. You know what these passages teach? It's beautiful. They teach that generosity isn't a burden. They teach that generosity is something that we have the privilege of doing. Something that we get to do. It's something that is often as much of a blessing for us as it is the people around us that we are generous toward. And we're going to get into pretty uncomfortable territory right now. Talking about generosity, we're talking about giving. We're talking about our giving. But we need to see something here. We need to see that the righteous, wise person, they delight in being generous to others. But let's acknowledge for a second, giving in this way, it's not easy, is it? Does anyone else struggle with this? Is it just me to, to be richly generous? Okay, that's good. I, I, mean, I was worried that it was just me for a moment. But it's not just me. Being generous is hard because it confronts something that's so selfish in us. I think this is why the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, with some Christians, he's talking, with some Christians, the last part of their nature that ever gets sanctified is their pockets. <laughs> so true. But the wise person is generous. So here's a diagnostic question for you. Do you think you're wise? Check your bank account to see if you're wise. Look at your bank statement and see if your claim to being wise lines up with what the Bible says the wise person does. We're called to generous giving. But we should ask, what is generous giving and how is that distinguished from from selfish giving, right? You know, what's, what's not generous giving? Because I could walk around Vancouver and endlessly give out $2 here, and the, you know, a toonie here and a toonie there. Is that generous? Is that what we're talking about? And we're talking about something else. And there's a principle from the Proverbs that actually helps us understand what generosity really looks like. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 to 10. This proverb reads, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. The principle is that the best of what you have should be given first to the Lord. The principle is that God comes first and you come second. 
And the implication of that is that actually generosity should hurt. Because there's no way for me to stay first if God's first. If I put God first, then I have to make an intentional decision to live not first, but to live second. That means that if my income bracket and my quality of life look exactly like the income bracket of someone next to me who, has this, who makes, makes the same money that I do, and I claim to be generous, that something's wrong. There's a way of giving that, that chooses willingly to live at a lower means than I could in order to give to God, to give generously. But generosity to others, it demonstrates a faithfulness to God above all else. And that sort of generosity will always be blessed by him. All over scripture, it's a promise. I can think of no better summary for this point than Jesus' words in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 13. Look at this with me. Jesus says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Be warned. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God and money, God and you cannot both have the first place in your life. If you're devoted to God and not money, it will be obvious. Your bank account will back up your claim. Third, the righteous wise person works hard and he's okay with it. He's okay with it. The righteous wise person understands something beautiful, understands that, that God cares about our hearts far more than he cares about our bank accounts. And then he's created the world such that the, the regular way to grow in wealth in this world is by diligent labor because he wants us to build character. Look at the following passages. 28.19 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Or 10.4-5, to 5, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. I love that the comparison here for diligent labor is farming. Last time I checked, farming was pretty hard, especially at the time when the Bible was written. Now you just get in your combine and you relax and listen to podcasts, I guess. Right? But but at one point in time, at one point in time, it it was this painstaking, diligent toil. Right? But it was God's idea. There's a beautiful thing about hard work. As an aside, I don't know if you know this, as an aside... When the earth is made new and we live forever with God in his presence, work's not going to go away. The frustration of work, many of the frustrations of work, the the curse on our work, that's going to be removed. But work won't be gone. Work is God's idea. And it's the regular way that God has made for human beings to increase in wealth in this world. So we're in Canada, right? Last time I checked, we're all in Canada. We're all awake. We know where we are. We're in Canada, and that means that nearly everybody in this room is not from North America. Not everybody, but nearly everybody's not from North America. And that means that, that your grandparents or your parents or maybe you are like my grandparents who left war-torn Netherlands with no money and no opportunities and no education and moved to British Columbia for a new opportunity. And here's the thing. Even though... All those things were against them. They had the secret sauce. And the secret sauce is that they knew how to work hard. 
They knew how to work hard. They were okay with hard labor and being diligent. And like you, I've benefited from the hard work of my parents and my grandparents. Where this diligent labor over time produces something good that lasts. It's the regular way that God has baked into the orientation of this world to produce wealth. And we've been blessed by it. We've been richly blessed by that. The righteous, wise person in the Bible is okay with this and learns the lessons of diligence and applies themselves to labor in front of them. Finally, the righteous, wise person fears the Lord. Where the wicked fool fears poverty, fears others and what, what others think of them, and are consumed by that in their quest for money, the righteous, wise person doesn't look to those things. The righteous person looks to God, fears Him, and obeys Him, and is blessed by it. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Fear of the Lord. Aligning yourself with his ways and his purposes and his plans for his people. Becoming the sort of person that is wise and righteous. That and that alone leads to true wealth according to scripture. Respecting and fearing poverty or wealth over God is just a crappy way to live in this world. It leads to deep anxiety. Have you experienced that? To fear wealth, to fear money, to fear what it can do or it can't do, and to fear others and what they think of you. That's a hard way to live. It leads to this anxiety. It's deep. And there's something else. It's actually also a crappy way to be an effective witness in Vancouver if you fear wealth and not God. I, I experienced this when I first moved here. I moved from the valley. I've, I'm comfortable with blue-collar folks. It's where I'm from. That's, that's how I was raised. And I moved to South Granville. And in South Granville, it's a different kind of, different kind of crowd. I remember going to the park those first days when I was in South Granville and watching these dads come up with their nice suits and their nice cars and pick up their kids from their nannies. And I'm like, man, I'm intimidated by this. You know, and I see Ferraris drive by with Enzo on the back. And I think, what's going on? I'm intimidated by that. And the problem is that I, I feared money too much and God too little. I was more comfortable talking to people that I viewed as less than me than I was at people that I viewed that were of greater wealth than me. But here's the thing. If you respect and fear money more than you should, you won't be a good witness for God in Vancouver, especially among some of our wealthier folks. But they need Jesus as much as you do. And you need to be okay with the fact that God made the wealthy and he made the poor. And he has plans and he has purposes for each and you also need to realize that if you belong to him, praise God, your value, is, your value is not tied to your bank account. Right? And, and neither is anyone else's. Don't be intimidated by the wealthy. Fear God. The wealthy have just as much need for Jesus as you do. Wealth hasn't provided them what they need. I, I love this quote. American businessman and billionaire David Seagal once said, money doesn't make you happy. It just makes you unhappy in a better section of town. Isn't that good? It's the truth. Jesus is deeply needed by the rich and the poor and by us. So, all right, we've seen the wicked fool, the righteous wise person. Now let's sum it all up together. And let's look at our last point, generosity in Jesus Christ. I think it's probably true this morning that what we've looked at, we probably generally agree with. That to be generous is a good thing. That to love others more than money is a good thing. 
we would agree that loving God, fearing him is probably a good thing. I don't want to fear money when other people think of me. But can we all admit for just one second together how hard this is? It's hard. It's hard. The default that we have seems to be to love money and to be greedy and to be selfish and not generous. That's my default. I exposed that before you this morning. I think it's your default too. So sorry if you think more of yourself than that. I apologize. But we should ask, why is that the case? Why is our heart oriented that direction? Well, because the ugly truth is we love money more than we love people. And we're afraid that giving to somebody else will mean that I won't have enough. We love money more than people, and we think that giving to somebody else will mean that I won't have enough. So how do we get out of that death spiral of self? How do we become the wise and righteous person who is genuinely generous? Brothers and sisters, friends, it's only through the gospel. It is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only that can take care of the love problem that we have. Only the gospel can take care of the fear problem that we have. Look at how the gospel takes care of our love problem. In the gospel, we're freed from our love of money because we've received something so much better. We've received the generosity of the love of Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In the gospel, we see Jesus, the King of kings, the God of God, the controller of all wealth and all joy that exists. And we see him leave that and come to earth as one of us and suffer, be betrayed by his closest friends, be wrongly accused, go to trial and die. Why? So that through Jesus' death, you and I could be forgiven. So that through Jesus' death, you and I would become sharers with Jesus of his great wealth. He did it to bring us into his wealth. Guys, if, if Jeff Bezos moved into, I don't know, neighborhood in East Hastings, right downtown. And if he went there and adopted the, the lowest of the low, the, the, the people who were in the worst straits, the prostitutes and the drug addicts, and adopt them into his family to become sharers with him and his children of their inheritance, that generosity would pale in significance to what we have in Jesus. It doesn't even come close. It doesn't even come close. And in the gospel, we're invited to marvel and to be captured by Jesus' love. Oh, what love the Father has shown to us that through Jesus, we become God's children, heirs with Jesus of all things. That's what we have in him. That's God's generosity. And you know what happens? When we receive that love, when it touches our hearts, when we receive that generosity, it frees us from our love of money because we've experienced something so much better. Second, in the gospel, we're freed from our fear. We're freed from our fear that giving to others will hurt us. Because in the gospel, we have become these heirs that I've been talking about, these people who've experienced the riches of God, the riches of all that is available for us 
in Jesus. We're richer than Croesus, we're richer than Bezos, and we're richer than the Rockefellers in Christ. We're secure. We're fabulously wealthy in him. Whether you are poor this morning or you are rich, what you have in Jesus is riches untold. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.21. It says that in Christ we have all things. I don't have a slide. I just realized. I'm sorry about that. We have all things in him, says 1 Corinthians 3.21. We've been given Jesus by God. And that means this incredible thing. That means that the Father God, God on high is for you. What would he not give to you? Why would you suffer want? How could you not be secure? Look at chapter 8, verses 31 to 32 of Romans, which says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? No matter how poor we are, if we have Christ, we are rich, and God is for us. We are secure. And that can free us from our fear that if I give generously, God's not going to take care of me. God will. God will. He'll bless you. So here's the thing. Are you struggling with greed this morning? If you are, I want to invite you to come and meet Jesus. If you're a Christian here, to come and just revel in what he's given you to revel in his grace, to worship him anew, to realize what he's given you and be freed to again push forward in generosity. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you realize that you've been pursuing wealth and you see that it's a dead end, man, let me invite you to be free from it. Come and have something so much better. Come and experience the riches of Christ with us. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray. We ask, would you help us? Would you help us to so see Jesus and who he is, so see your generosity and your grace to sinners like us, that we would be so deeply changed that we would be generous, that we would love people, that we would love you far more than we love money. That we'd see money just as a tool that you've given us to use to bring you glory and to bless others. Would you help us with that today for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.